This is Anthony Pascal. And this is Lori Elster. And this is the All Access Star Trek podcast. This week, we are going to play for you the interview I did with Walter Koenig, which I think is super fun. Uh, but first, we've got some news to cover, mostly about production, Star Trek production specifically, obviously, uh, getting <laughs> starting to get back up and running. Yeah. Well, last week, I think, was the first week we covered the end of the writer's strike and uh, the actor's strike, right? Yeah, we were celebrating. Yeah. But we didn't know what was going to happen when... We were speculating, you know, are they going to be able to do anything before the end of the year? It turns out, yeah. So Strange New Worlds has restarted pre-production. They were in pre-production when the writer's strike kicked off in May. And they've started again. Uh, Chris Fisher, who is a guest on this podcast, said, you know, he and his guys were constantly planning on how to restart. And uh, I think over the weekend, he said, I'm heading back to Toronto. He's back there now. Yeah, he said, I'm going in three days. I mean, when we talked to him, he was like, we're ready, man. <laughs> <laughs> so the, they're in pre-production. They're going to start actual production apparently on the 11th, according to the Directors Guild. I have confirmed that, yeah, the plan is to shoot this year. So it looks like they could probably get one episode done this year before Christmas. It's going to be tight because uh, it usually takes two weeks to film an episode. Especially during, you know, I, I'm not sure what the level of the COVID protocols are. Um, they're not as severe as they used to be, but um, they're still they're, a, they're still part of the equation for sure. Yeah, yeah, and it's not just Chris. You know, Jess Bush has been probably the most prolific. She's kind of um, crowdsourcing her way back to Toronto, <laughs> right? Like someone, I think someone to take her apartment where she lives, and then somewhere to put a car or something in Toronto, something like that. Yeah, she needs a parking. Covered parking spot in Toronto in the winter. You'd think she, you'd want like an indoor spot, really, because you're still, I guess, covered's enough. You've lived there. Yeah, you don't want to be digging out. That's the issue. Right. I was just there last weekend, actually. Um, well, last winter, they got, got almost no snow. So I suspect that she doesn't have to worry about that. I suspect they're going to do a lot on the AR wall because they're going to be shooting from December through to May and June, essentially. That that's going to cover some of those snowy months for sure. Right. Can they turn it around in time to show us any strange new worlds in 2024? I mean, I wouldn't count on it, but it's possible. I, I think it's say. possible. And they might get ambitious about it. No show benefits from long gaps between seasons. That's true, but there's just a physical limitation. It depends on how much stuff was done during the strikes the fact that they're using the air wall so much means they've got a lot of effects work done. They might've done some visual effect work doing the strikes. Uh, certainly they could have restarted that in um, September after the writer's strike ended. I'm talking about space shot stuff. Right. Like stuff that they, that the people who need to approve it weren't working during the writer's strike, but were working during the actor strike. But if you, if you look at the past couple seasons from the day they start shooting to the day of the premieres, it's been roughly 15 to 16 months. So so pulling it off in less than 12, I think, and I wouldn't mind this, if they broke it up into two halves, I think we're going to see a lot of that in 2024. Yeah, I think so too. On Paramount and Netflix and other. I mean, Netflix has been doing, they did this recently with The Witcher and they did that with uh, Stranger Things. So um, seeing that kind of thing happen, uh, I think Trek fans would be fine with that. Especially if it means getting it earlier. 
Right. And then the other thing we do know about Strange New Worlds is that uh, Frakes is going to be directing. He's been talking about he- being headed to Toronto, but not he didn't say when, but we know he's going to do at least one episode. He directs everything, so he's got to direct Strange New World season three. He didn't direct in season one, I guess, because he had a conflict with another Star Trek show. But Yeah, I a... think that he was doing too much Star Trek so that he couldn't do all the Star Trek. <laughs> I wonder if he's going to direct for the Academy show. Because that's going to be a very different show. They're probably going to want a very young, diverse group of directors. But I bet he's going to be like the one who isn't a young, diverse director that they bring in. He'd be the one old guy, you know, old, old, old <laughs> school guy. He's not that old. Yeah. Well, yeah no, but you I know, know what, what you mean. I, you know what I, I mean. know exactly what you mean. I'm just being silly. Yeah. No, and I think it's. I think it would make sense to bring him in because he's the Star Trek vet that people would be excited about. Plus, he's just a joy to have on set and he brings everything on time and he knows how to make it work. So you want that. And then you can also have a bunch of other people who are maybe come from a different backgrounds. I look forward to seeing the team behind that show, the writer's room. And, you know, we know. Who's running the show? We know Alex is in the writers room. We know Tawny, but not sure how many other writers we know. And and then there's slated directors and and the rest of the team. So we really don't know that much about that show. Well, I interviewed Tawny Newsom today, as you know, um, and she said that there are a bunch of really big Star Trek fans in that writers room, and uh, and Canon Police like her. She said, "You're such a name dropper." Yeah, talk- I just so I was just talking to Tawny Newsom a couple hours ago, and she said, "Lori, I need to tell." No, that wasn't how it went, but <laughs> but that is what she said. One of the other fun things in our article on Jonathan Frakes is because the strikes are over, people start suddenly remembering. Oh yeah, I was on Star Trek. I could talk about it now, and so there's fun stuff showing up on social media. Jack Quaid shared some cool stuff from the crossover episode, which. Frakes directed, which we included some of those. And Bill Walkoff, who's one of the writer producers on the show, um, shared some great video and images of Frakes on set. So, it, you know, it's it's funny watch, seeing this stuff like, you know, this is totally separate. But after the strike ended, Bob Picardo posted on Twitter, I, you know, I can confirm I'm in Star Trek Prodigy. You're like, we know we've seen some footage. Yeah. (laughs) But it's, you know, from, you know, that was the first time he could talk about it, you know, from his perspective. So, yeah, Kate Mulgrew just started posting again, too, saying, like, it's going to be on Netflix. It's great. So it's nice to see everybody's really excited that they can talk about everything. Finally. Which is why you talked to Tawny, right? Yes. You couldn't have talked to her 10 days ago. That was the first thing she said was, I'm so excited to talk about Star Trek again. (laughs) Another production update we have is the Section 31 movie that was supposed to start in October. Obviously, that couldn't have happened. We've got our first indication that they're getting ready. It's not as strong as Strange New Worlds, which is for sure happening. All we have for this one so far is a listing on the Directors Guild of Canada site on what they call their hot list, their rumor list, really, for prep starting in November. But no real details yet, so I wouldn't write this in stone, except that it makes sense, because they're already late from their perspective. Right. 
So why not? And as Fish told us when he was on this podcast, he's like, we could do both. No problem. We could share the air wall. We'll do it. No problem. Yeah. So. Yeah. He didn't seem to think there was any issue at all with sharing or any conflicts. And let's just go. He was just very enthusiastic about everything. <laughs> yeah. And, and they did that with Discovery Season 5 and Strange New World Season 2. Both were produced at the same time sharing sets, et cetera. So yeah, they're all really good at working together at this point. We don't have that nailed down, but it could be, and this is, you wouldn't have thought this before the strike. Certainly it could be that the section 31 movie shows up before strange new world season three. Yep. In theory, that sure. could happen. I mean, one of the reasons I think they want to get the section 31 movie done is because in 2024, Getting back to Academy, they want to shoot the Academy, which will include some of the same people and assets and sets. Right. And there's no way they're going to do three productions in Toronto at the same time. They could do two. but I think I, it would get hard to share resources at that point. Yeah, and sets and stuff like that. So, right. And I also think they just want to get Michelle Yeoh and then let her get out to do all her other things that must be piling up for her. Yeah. If, if, if she says I'm ready to go, they're just going to go, whatever that yeah. day is. Um, but that's, you know, so, you know, strikes are over. Things are happening. 2024. I mean, you know, we are going to have, we still don't know when discovery is happening. Uh, we did an article on discovery this week. Uh, you know, it was just another example of someone from the show. Who's like, I can talk about discovery. Uh, um, <laughs> Uh, Elias Tufexis is uh, the new villain of the show. He actually had a very small part in season one playing one of those convicts. Remember when Burnham was a convict? Oh, like in the – right. So they went over to the Discovery. Yeah. And had yeah. a fight. Yeah, he was one of those guys, but he's an alien. So, um, But he's like the main villain. Him and an actress are kind of the Bonnie and Clyde right. of this fun thing. And he was – He's been on social media. He's talking about his cool ship and stuff like that. So he also said it took five and a half hours to get into makeup. I mean, that is that is crazy. I haven't heard any start. I mean, yeah, because he said, especially when you do the hands, because he's got these, you know, because to pull an alien off, you need to do all of it. And uh, yeah, that is like Doug's not in the chair for five and a half hours. No, Dorn, none of them. What yeah. did they say? They got Dorn down to less than an hour to get yeah. him in? Yeah. So I don't know what they're doing with this guy. Because uh, when you look at the makeup, it doesn't look that radical. I mean, it's it's a little like a Tosk. Remember Tosk kind of? Yeah. It's a little like a Kelpian. It's hard to tell what it is. Anyway, we still don't have a date for Discovery, though, but that'll be early in the year. Yep. And uh, then Lower Decks will be probably later and nothing in between. But uh, we'll see. We don't know when Prodigy's going to land either. So, Right. That won't be on Paramount Plus. That'll be on Netflix. Agreed. But, I know. But it'll be hopefully it is somewhere in between. I know. I'm, we're all worried about doubling up. <laughs> so there are so many worries to have about that. But <laughs> anyway, back to Lower Decks. Uh, Mike McMahon's been given a lot of interviews. So he's been talking about what's going to happen next season already, which he says will be not so much about the big missions, but a lot more about the characters sort of figuring out who they are. 
and he promises Tandy's coming back. She's not done, which we knew. Yeah. Did anyone, I mean, you know, no one thought that, right? I don't think so. (laughs) I mean, it is a cliffhanger, but they'll resolve it. You know, the last time they did a cliffhanger, they resolved it right away. You know, they don't waste time with that kind of stuff. There's always somebody with a conspiracy theory. They kicked her off the show, whatever. I don't know. I haven't seen that. I'm just making it up now. <laughs> We're going to get more Talyn. Ma is coming back. The Klingon. I like the Klingon. He's yep. cool. I don't think as much as Talyn, though. But I do. I mean, it's interesting how, because you and I didn't feel it was too serialized, even though. Yeah. By the end, it was pretty serialized, and it was interwoven in the story. And and he's saying they're mo- moving more to episodic because you know, like the previous season, you had a bit of a arc with Rutherford's eyepiece and the evil admiral, and it all tied together. So it wasn't he. He acts like season four was much more serialized. I would say it's just a little. It was a little more serialized. Yeah. And I guess they're going back to a little less. But I didn't mind it. I didn't think they went overboard on the serialization. No, I thought they they hit the right balance. Like, I didn't want a lot of serialization. And you didn't get it. And even if you hadn't seen previous ones, and then you see another, like, they would open it with a scene of some lower deckers and some aliens where their ship was, you thought, destroyed or whatever it was. It's still, you didn't need to have seen last week. Right. So keep an eye on the site. We're probably going to post some stuff from Tawny from your interview with her. And the full audio of that will be we're going to take Thanksgiving off because it's Thanksgiving, obviously. It's Um, a big holiday here in America. (laughs) But uh, we will have a podcast the week after Thanksgiving, and that will have the full audio of the Tawny Newsom interview. She's fun. So one last bit of news is this kind of curious bit of Star Trek history. I liked watching this story unfold because there were like little pieces of it coming out. Like first, well, first of all, let's say what it's about, which is that there's a lost enterprise model, like a three foot model. And the place where a lot of people saw it the most was in these, this picture of it sitting on Gene Roddenberry's desk, but they used it in the cage they used it as a shooting model in the cage. It appeared occasionally in other episodes, and it went missing during the making of Star Trek The Motion Picture. This was actually the first model made of the Enterprise. They later made the giant one, which is in the Smithsonian. Right. And this smaller model, after it went missing, it's kind of a big, important piece of Star Trek history. There's Gene Roddenberry was kind of pissed that it was never recovered. He wrote a letter to the head of Paramount back in the 70s saying, help me get my model back. And so it's been a mystery for years. And then randomly, this eBay posting appeared to be it. But it had a minimum bid of $1,000, which was ridiculously low if it was it. And once people started talking about it online, collectors the eBay listing was removed and this was at the end. I think it was on Halloween actually. Yeah. It was on Halloween when it, when it turned up and then it was gone pretty quickly. And then a lot of people just started talking about how it could be. Is it the right one? Is it the missing one? How do we authenticate it? And then uh, Rod Roddenberry got involved because he's trying to figure out, is it the real one? And if so, how do I get it? And he's now in contact with the person who listed it. 
Yeah. So the, one of the reasons some people sent us, you know, links to all this. Why aren't you reporting on this yet? We wanted to wait to get more facts about it because we couldn't just say this thing is real. There were a lot of rumors about it. There still are a lot of rumors about it. Eventually, we did get in touch with Roddenberry. We got the statement. And uh, so he's hoping to reacquire the model. And he feels like it should be at a museum. He wants to scan it for the Roddenberry archive. But that hasn't been resolved yet. So this is an ongoing, interesting little Star Trek mystery. And we'll continue covering it when there's more information. What's interesting is after we posted the article, some of the people who are kind of tangentially involved in the story came to our site and started commenting. And these are, you know, people that we've confirmed. One is Gary Kerr is a Star Trek model designer. And, and uh, he was rumored to be somehow involved in this. And he came to us and said, I am n- you know, no involvement whatsoever. You know, and some people were saying he authenticated it. And he said, look, all I said was, it looks like it's the right thing, but right. until someone can actually be in the same room as it, you know, he's he's basing it on pictures. And uh, then a similar comment came from the daughter of the guy who built it. Um, she came to our site. I don't know how she found it, but she did. Um, I mean, we are the biggest Star Trek site, so I guess it got shared around and she noticed it. And we've shared their info with the Roddenberry people. So hopefully something happens soon on this. I'd love to know where it's been. Well, I mean, the story, and we don't know if this is true, and there's an alternate story out there, I think, is that it was in a storage locker of uh, some filmmaker, and this guy bought that storage locker. I mean, it, it has damage on it. It was not taken care of. This thing needs to be restored. Yeah. It's probably worth over a million dollars if it's real, though. So we all should have bought it for a thousand, is what you're saying. <laughs> well, who knows if you see something on e- eBay like that, if it's real. I mean, it should have been, if it were in an auction, it should have been through like heritage auctions or someone like that who can authenticate it and all that kind of stuff. Right. Not just randomly up on eBay. So, I mean, just a, you know, we talked about the Greg Jean auction a few weeks ago. A Galileo shuttle went for a quarter million dollars. And this wow. is the Enterprise. And it's bigger. That was two feet long. This is three feet long. It's definitely, it's worth a lot of money. And technically, it's the property of the Roddenberry estate, really. Yeah, yeah. It was just never returned. Not that there's any, you know, you can't be charged for a crime from the 1970s. But one could make the argument that it's theirs. Well, I hope they get it back. Me too. Everyone does. You know, I liked how Rod says this thing shouldn't be in a private collection, it should be shared with the fans and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Agreed. I think that's it for news of the week. So we're going to roll in your interview with Walter. But before we do that, you know, what was it like talking to an icon? It was pretty crazy to just be looking at his face. I mean, it was on Zoom and he's looking at me and we're talking and a couple of times. He did like the checkoff accent, which was very fun. And he was laughing about stuff and making jokes and he was totally willing to dig into his memory to recall stuff so that he could tell me about it. It was amazing. He was really, really nice. He answered all my questions. 
he blew me a kiss before I left, which was delightful. And he had some, I, I didn't know the story about the scene that they'd filmed for Generations that he talked about. And we'll post a link to the actual scene in the, sh in the show notes on the website. So, but you should just listen and see if you're interested. What's fascinating, as I said last week, is you don't get someone talking about a show in the 60s for one of these rewatch pods. And you know, even in your interview, he says he doesn't really remember a lot, you know, some of the stuff. And once he joked like, hey, I'm 87 years old, you know, and right. this week we kind of got a reminder, the guy who directed The Cage, Robert Butler, passed away. And the guy who wrote the mud episodes, Stephen Kendall, yeah, and and yeah. Uh, an, an episode of the animated. It's like a kind of two in one week, but they're both like in their nineties, you know. So there's not a lot of people left who were there who could talk about it, right? Who can give us those firsthand experiences? And I have to say, it was really surreal hearing him describe what it was like when he got to the set and joined the cast, and I'm just. I was just a little in awe sitting and listening to him describe it when I'm thinking of all the time I spent since I was a little kid watching the original series over and I mean, I watched every episode so many times, every time it was on TV, I was watching it. And then to think like now someone's actually talking about what it was like standing right there on the set. So without further ado, here's Walter. Hi, Walter. Hi, Lori. Uh, Hi. So I have to just say real quick, you've been a very important part of something that has been important to me, delightful, inspiring since I was a little kid. So 12-year-old Lori's doing cartwheels and 57-year-old Lori is also doing cartwheels. So thank you for doing this. We're talking about the Bud Abbott and Lucas Stella show. Yeah, right? my favorite. It changed my life. <laughs> <laughs> so let's start with you joining the seventh rule how do you feel about joining the world of podcasting at age 87 well you know um learning is something every day and also not being able to retain it <laughs> but other than that no that's fun that should be fun i'm looking forward to this and so I know you've occasionally watched episodes to do other interviews and podcasts, but when was the last time you really sat down and watched a bunch of original series episodes? I don't know. I have absolutely no idea when that was. Um, I think I've seen a couple of episodes of different iterations of Star Trek, but not uh, the original. It's so been this, a long time. So this is going to be a real journey. Do you have any thoughts about what is what it's going to be like for you watching these episodes again i don't really anticipate having too many thoughts about it um we'll see i don't know i have no idea we'll just see is there are there any episodes that you sort of remember that you're kind of dreading revisiting that's an interesting question um i had one bad moment on it wasn't that episode of the TV show? It was one of the movies uh, with Bill in, in the second movie. That was the only really bad moment that I've had in uh, in the whole history of watching Star Trek or being involved in Star Trek. Can Can you talk about that moment? Yeah, we were getting ready. You know, they 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 discovered me and uh, Paul. Paul yeah. Yeah, and then we got on the transporter, 
And I was standing behind Bill on a transport, and we were all going to beam out. And Bill looked at me and said, move a little bit this way. He didn't want me so much in the shot. So I said, uh, I'm just doing what you would do, Bill. <laughs> didn't uh-huh. like that. He said, that's neurotic. That's neurotic. And then he did a double take to look at me twice as if looking at me twice is going to somehow cow me. So um I went home and I had really a pad. I had a severe gut pain for the rest of the evening. But I got over it. I got over it. And you did a great job of that movie. You had some pretty oh, big, big scenes. So Well, everybody well, did well. Yeah, it's it's a great one. So, you know, I know this relationship among all the actors on Star Trek. There's a lot of talk, like Shatner didn't pay attention to anybody else, and he was so focused on himself. And I'm just curious about, I don't, I'm not interested in ripping apart anybody. Um, but what was your experience on set in terms of the actors spending time together? Like, who did you spend time with, and what was Shatner's attitude towards everybody? Well, you know, Shatner's attitude was reminiscent of the attitude of the times. When we did Star Trek the series, it wasn't a C-A-S-T, it was a C-A-S-T-E. We were distinguished by our position. If you were one of the three stars, and this was not Star Trek alone, this was most television series, you got billing at the top of the show, which may seem inconsequential, you know, what, what does that really matter? But it, it, it reflects an attitude. And the attitude is, these are the people you have to pay attention to. These are the people you have to defer to. These are the people who you have to acquiesce to. The people who have the top billing. Our billing was at the end of the show, and not only at the end of the show, but in between the guest stars. Now that was really subordinate. That was really a subordination. Now, did that bother me a lot? No. It was, it was the way things were. That was the sign of the times. That's the way the casts were set up. No, nobody, uh, you know, kicked us to the curb. Nobody, uh, was in, you know, was insulting. It was, you have the two or three stars and then you have the secondary players. And that's the way they, the, this, it was set up. That was the, that was the, the structure of television. And so Bill was really only reflecting what was going on all around him. Uh, I'm sure there were, I'm sure there were situations that were not that way. And you had somebody who was a little bit more aware, cognizant, a little bit more sensitive to his fellow actors. But it wasn't as if he was being evil. It wasn't as if he was being anything other than what most people were doing. Of course, I was the, the, the new kid on the block, so I wasn't really expecting a great deal more than that. And I, and I didn't receive it, but it didn't bother me. It bothered, well, it bothered me a little bit. Once in a while, we'd have a scene with the six of us, seven of us were together, and then Bill would step to the right, five feet, and the camera would change, and it would be on him. And it was as if we were not there. But that was the game. That was the name of the game. And um George had a different beef, and his was more personal. 
and I respect him for it. But I don't feel the same malice that he does. So there's that to say. So coming in for season two of the show, how familiar were you with season one and what had come before? Wow. I'm glad you asked me. Well, let me tell you, I never saw it before I was in it. I saw the styrofoam rocks and I said, <laughs> as, as, as our beloved former president would say, fake. <laughs> and that's, and that's the way I, I, uh, I'm, I'm being facetious about beloved, by the way. I figured. <laughs> <laughs> And well, um, yeah, so, did they sh- did they show you any episodes? Oh, well, you saw it. I mean, I, I I I was flipping channels and I turned on this planet, and there were these rocks that obviously weighed about a pound and a half, you know. <laughs> um, and so I never gave it a, I never gave it a second thought, and nor did I try it again until I actually went in to read for it. Oh, that's funny. And I know I know you're a writer. And I know coming in hot on season two isn't the greatest time to pitch ideas, but did you have ideas that you wanted to pitch as a writer at that time? No, no, I was really pleased to be working, you know, to have a a salary. Actors don't necessarily have a continuing source of income, you know, and uh, my, my, my very first thought about being on Star Trek was I'm getting a, a weekly salary. Sure. Humanitarianism, um, social conscience, all people should be respected. All of those good things, which I thoroughly believe in, were not foremost on my mind. At that <laughs> juncture, at that juncture, I was thinking about I have a baby at home. Well, I know I didn't have a baby at home, but I was going to have a baby at home. But I did have a wife. And um, the income was very, very, uh, as as small as it was. I mean, it's a, it was a joke, but uh, that was the time. You know, that was that's the way things were then. But so I was very pleased to have an income, and I was very pleased to have a place to go every week. And everybody was friendly. Almost everybody was friendly. <laughs> Michelle was great. Michelle was great. She was the first one to come up to me and was friends. And, um, in fact, you know, I wore a wig for six weeks. So my hair was very short. I, I'd made my own film and I had cut my hair short. So I went to Max Factor and we, we got some wigs and I tried a bunch of wigs and they settled on one. So, uh, she made a joke about a bird's nest and that was fun. And then the uh, forest was great. George wasn't there, as you know. Jimmy was fine. I mean, I, uh, Bill sort of, Gave me one of those, but it wasn't insulting. It was an acknowledgement. I'm here. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was fine. I, I, I had a third. And of course, as time progressed and I got to see what we were doing and what we were saying and how we were dealing with the audience, how we were treating them, it was, uh, it felt good. I felt that I was part of something reasonably important. Reasonably, yes. Um, Did you think that the show would still be being talked about 57 years later and and spawn this empire, basically? Of course. Didn't everybody? (laughs) (laughs) Like, does it surprise you? Yeah. In the third season, 
Jimmy, George, and I did a shoot. We went on a a magazine shoot for a kids' magazine. It was either teen or some sixteen or fave or something, and we were on horses. I mean, bringing coals to Newcastle, Star Trek actors on horses. You know, the young kids loved that. But while we were there, while we were uh, straddled the horse, got news that, guess what? We were being changed. Our showtime in the third season was not going to be uh, 8 o'clock Monday night. It was going to be 10 o'clock Friday night. As soon as I heard that, I mean, I was still a, I was still a, a, a stride my horse. And I knew that that was it, that we were done. Uh, I, I'm cynical by nature, and I knew that we would not have the same, I would not have the same audience that I would at eight o'clock on, on Monday. Uh, they had brought me aboard for the very, uh, obvious reason of appealing to very young people. Literally eight to f- about 14 years old. And, uh, Friday night at 10, they're either in bed, the eight year olds, or they're out at a party or at a date or something, the 14-year-olds. So uh, I knew we were, at that moment, I knew that our fate was sealed and that we were, and, and the third season of Star Trek would be the end. An interesting, an interesting uh, example of that was Spectre of the Gun, which was shot in the third season, that was written in the second season. And the intention was to shoot it in the second season. Now, that is a, a better reflection of Chekhov's participation in Star Trek than what we saw most of the time in the third season. Because at that juncture, we still thought we had a show and that was going to go on and on and had infinitum. But we didn't shoot it. We were short on cash. The budget was was difficult to put together. And that's uh, also one of the reasons why that old adage, mother is the necessity of invention. That's right, isn't it? Necessity oh, is ne- the mother of invention. Necessity is the mother of invention. <laughs> oh, well, that's because I'm 87 freaking years old. Anyway, yeah, so that's why we we put it off, and we ended up making a very interesting show because we had to put it off and uh, restructure the uh, the budget. Uh, so that we can make it work. And in restructuring the budget, we played a little bit with the, with, with, with the story and made the story more interesting, the whole thing being an illusion. We didn't have to build real sets. You know, we, we could get by with far less. So, yeah, so I'm, of course, I'm wondering because that's what I will do. But um, I don't even remember what the heck I was talking about. Well, uh, we were talking about the surprise of the long-lasting legacy of the show. But you know what? I'm going to ask you something else that sort of extends that thought. Okay. Um, because you did a voiceover on Star Trek Picard, and we've seen a lot of stars of, of previous Star Trek shows coming into new ones. But uh, but apparently you'd been approached long, years before Picard to appear in a different Star Trek show on Next Generation. Well, we did the first Next Generation movie, Jimmy, Bill, and I. The initial plan was to use all seven of us. George, Jimmy, Nichelle, DeForest, Bill, Leonard. We were, we were going to use all of us. And then 
they said, no, no, we're just going to use Bill Leonard and DeForest. And they said, no. Well, Leonard and DeForest said no. They didn't see any point of going on and doing Next Generation when it wouldn't add to their characters. And frankly, although I didn't have that much character to add to, to begin with, so I probably could have, just on that basis, could have used the exposure. I felt that, you know, that was not, this was not the way to sign out in a role that is obviously designed for the purpose of bringing in next generation fans who might not otherwise be next generation fans, but for their uh, allegiance to the original cast. So it was really very calculated, very calculated. And I say that, and I felt cynical about it. And I saw nothing there that I thought would um, contribute to an understanding of my character. So I said, thank you. And, uh, but no thanks. And frankly, the money was quite significant. But I said, no thanks. I, I do have some pride. I have some pride in myself and I have some pride in uh, what I do. And I just didn't feel that we were, uh, we were bringing anything that was, uh, had a great deal of merit. Oh, I was. So I said, no. And they said, and they called me and said, what would change your mind? And I said, okay, I'll tell you what will change my mind. You let me come up with a scene that will not undermine the story, that will not in any way subvert what you have going with Next Generation. That'll still be, you know, 97% about Next Generation. But it'll be a moment for Chekhov, a moment where you get some insight into who he is. That wasn't... We were there in an expository fashion. George, Michelle, and I, most specifically, and most uh, most of the time, Jimmy, occasionally not so. But in expository fashion means they were there to advance the story, to tell you what's going in the plot. Captain, there's a crazy-looking sheep out No, no, Captain, there is a thing out there. We don't know what it is. What do you think it is? Ooh. And then he goes on, and he tells you how he feels, and you get a sense of character, and you get a sense of what that that thing means in our lives, personally, and that's why you have a captain, you know, so you can identify with him, so you can get wrapped up and, and embrace what, what's, what's going on in his life. But that isn't, we're just a tool. We're just a tool there to help expedite that, but not really to make you care about these characters. So I wanted a moment. When Kirk gets blown out of the ship in the beginning of the film, there is a moment when, if you go back and look at it, where Jimmy and I stand together and we say something on the order of, you know, I don't know what we say. We say something. And the reason why I don't know what we say is that we didn't say what I had written. There was a moment between uh, Jimmy and I when uh, we talk about the loss of our captain. You know, Three years, <laughs> three seasons of going to Paramount, and there's no more, and there's no more Captain Kirk, and it was painful. And I, um, the truth be known, and I'm not sure I'm proud of this, but I had suffered a, a devastating loss in my life at this point, and um, I was able to bring that. 
to that moment uh, when Kirk gets blown out of the ship. And for the only time in my life that I've ever brought forth tears was during the exchange between Scotty and Chekhov. So they shot it. The writer took down what, what I had to say in, in, uh, before that, beforehand. And we memorized it. And we got on the set and we shot it. And then they cut it out. Oh. I should have, I should have known that. I mean, this, hello, Hollywood. Yeah. You know, everybody talks about Hollywood and there's a reason. <laughs> so, um, I mean, I wasn't crushed. I sort of, I think, you know, even at, at that tender age of 50 <laughs> or whatever I was, 40, I knew that such things happened. Right. But that was the, that was the only reason why I, I did the film was because I thought at last, uh, I got to say something about how the, the character should be played. And just one moment, it's not going to turn this, the plot upside down. It's no. not going to twist anything. You're not going to have to bring in other actors. You're not going to have to have dialogue that explains why I'm saying this. I mean, it's, it, it's generated from human compassion. From, right. I still have this yearning uh, that he be a dimensional human being, that there be the, the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know that you get to, to see him, get to see him wounded, emotionally wounded. You get to see him rhapsodizing. You know, you get to see him as a complete human being so you can identify with him in all in in in, in the good and and the not so good i just feel that our 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 job is as actors all of us is to flesh out and make the characters as real and as pertinent as we can to give the audience a a, a ride to let them Embrace us, catch on, and experience what we're experiencing. Um, that's what being an actor is. You, you bring that to the audience. You, you, you let them feel you're watching it because they want to be involved. They want to, uh, get the sense that they're going through what you're going through. So that's what I would have liked. I would have liked that anywhere along the line. Uh, you know, she went in by a little old lady in Russia. Eh, that's not, that's not really, um, something for them to grab onto. Uh, but my captain has died. How do I, how do I go on with that? That's something the audience will sit back and say, God, yes. How does, how do I feel about that? How would I react to that? I think it was a travesty. And, uh, you forgive me for this harangue. I thought it was a travesty the way they killed Captain Kirk. Yeah. It was so incidental. Oh, by the way, you're dead. You know, it was, he should have died heroically. I mean, really heroically. Um, he deserves it. And, and Mr. Shatner brought a, a great deal to that part. He was incredibly good looking. He was a damn good actor. Totally committed to what he was doing. Don't talk to me about overacting. That's crap. 
You, what are you looking for? You're looking for um, a ventriloquist, somebody whose lips don't move? You're looking for somebody who imbues the character, who embraces the situation, who gives his all, who exposes who he is. And, and Bill Shatner brought that to the part every time. I think you all had to do that. I think when you're doing a science fiction show, everybody has to buy into it 100% or it's not going to work. Except that when you're the lead, it's more of a challenge. You're given more to do. You're given more to do. And, and, you know, it's like painting with two colors or painting with seven colors, you know. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of hearing, I, I go off and I, I apologize. I'm tired of hearing about bad acting, overacting. You know, I think that's bull. I agree with you a hundred percent. I always say the same thing about his performance in particular. I think he was brilliant. Yeah. And when people say, come on, damn it, who has the guts to do that? Yeah. Who has the I guts agree. to, to th- throw me, th- thoroughly throw themselves into the part and, and expose themselves that, like that? So, um, although we're not buddies, nor shall we ever be, uh, I certainly do appreciate his work, and I'm grateful that he was there, because I'm not sure we would have come back for, for for the movies if if if, if it wasn't for. I know uh, Leonard had an extraordinary uh, appeal to the audience, and certainly he was to be commended as well for for the work that he did. But um, you gotta have that leading man of some kind. Sometimes he's a bad guy, sometimes he's a good guy. But you've got the personification of the good guy that you want to root for in Mr. Shatner and Captain Kirk. And um, I'm I'm grateful that he was there. Yeah, no argument for me on any of that. Thank you so much, Walter. Thank you, Lori. Bye. So that was the interview with Walter Koenig. And just a reminder to everyone, he is going to be joining The Seventh Rule. They're starting to record next month to review and recap uh, seasons two and three of the original series. So I actually hope they go back and do season one with him. But a lot of times <laughs> actors don't want to do the episodes they had nothing to do with. Are but they going to go production order or airing order? I'm going to guess airing order. Yeah, probably. I think that's how they've been doing the other shows. But I think it's going to be an amazing listen. I mean, you can watch it on video too. They put the they put the podcast on YouTube as well as on uh, on podcast sites. So it's time for our bits of the week. This week we are going to promote some of our own appearances. Well, we'll we'll do each other so that it sounds less self serving. So Lori was a guest in a recent episode of the Great Trek Mary Kill podcast, and for that one, they were discussing two. Star Trek episodes, Beyond the Farthest Star, and Yesteryear from the animated series. Yeah, it was their first time delving into the animated series. So I got the call because I was the copy editor on the book about the animated series, an authority that he knew because Brian and I have been on the podcast before. But it was lots of fun. He's a fun guy. And those are two great episodes of the animated series. Yeah, well, one better than the other. Well, Yesteryear is... (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Um, (laughs) And then Tony was a guest. Uh, The Seventh Rule has a weekly show, a YouTube show called The Main Viewer, and they discuss all the news of the week. And they had Tony on as a guest to talk about 
all of the new the production news and whatever we knew about Star Trek starting up again and all of that. And that was a lot of fun. And we ended up talking about all sorts of stuff. Star Wars got in there. A lot of Star Wars. I can't <laughs> help it. I love I love Star Wars. And if you I'll just end up talking about Star Wars. I, I try to avoid it on this podcast because you're not as big of a Star Wars fan or much of a Star Wars fan as I am. I, I enjoy some Star Wars. I don't keep up with all of it. It's it's too. I can only handle one gigantic fandom. I get it. I get it. <laughs> so uh, check that out. It's on YouTube and on wherever you can get your podcasts. And I guess that's it. Is that it? That's it. So have a good Thanksgiving, everybody. We'll be back in two weeks. Please come to the site and comment. Please go to Apple and review us, but only do it if you like us. Exactly. (laughs) Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Pre-Thanksgiving. See you in two weeks.